Um, I've uh, actually I've replaced him with Doppelganger, and I told him to stay out. I don't, I don't know, whatever. This is Kevin uh, Kevin Adams uh, with Predictive Online Marketing, and um, we have our uh, we have the uh, president of DFW SEM, uh, Julie Jones. Um, yeah, take it away. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and really nerd out about Google Analytics four. Oh, dude, I'm I'm so down for this. <laughs> it's it's such a big change for I think everybody because it's not just upgrading Google Analytics. It's really a truly new product. And so every day I'm starting to learn something new and it's exciting, but you know, and I'm already starting to see the ways that I can look at the customer journey even better than I could before. But at the same time, I'm seeing all the different ways that you can start messing up data and messing up analysis. So this GA4 is really going to separate, you know, what do they say? The goats from the sheep? Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about being a sheep. All right. So yeah. I'm going to hear about the mess ups. Yeah. Um, so it's just in the, it's in the nuances. So GA4 is going to be something where you have to really hone in on your attention to detail. So for example, today, what I found out was that uppercase versus lowercase, that case sensitivity is present in all of your filters. So for example, if you're looking for only users who came via Android, I was searching for it and it said, well, no users came via Android and, you know, I have a rather large site. This was surprising to me. And then I realized, oh, that's right, case sensitivity. So once I searched for capital Android users, then it said, oh, yeah, we have tons of those. But what makes this even more frustrating is that Google no longer has the ability for you to standardize your capitalization, like your sources and your mediums that you use in your UTM coding. And so now you have to account for both instances or just really drive it home to your team that like lowercase or go home or uppercase or go home. So it's because otherwise you're going to be missing out on like half of your data. That's, I've been noticing in, uh, in um, Tag Manager that things are coming, a lot of things are assigned as lowercase. And I wondered about that. Um, and as a marketer, on my copy, like uppercase matters, right? <laughs> but now it's like I have to, I have to rethink all of that. Yeah, I always use the lowercase rule because that's easy to remember than is it sentence case, is it uppercase, is it capital case, and you can just yell at everybody lowercase forever. Um, you yell at them with a smile, but still you, you get the idea across that only use lowercase and so it becomes their easy default and it makes data a lot easier for me to analyze, especially because it doesn't cardinalize the data, which is another thing that I'm finding in GA4. So you got a lot of customization in Google Analytics, which means you can add in so many cool uh, custom dimensions, custom metrics, events, events parameters. But as soon as you start getting more and more detailed into the data, essentially you don't get the same data twice because once you get to a certain point and the data is so cardinalized, uh, Google Analytics, I don't wanna say it loses its power, um, but I would say don't expect the same number twice unless you're planning on exporting it via BigQuery because of that cardinality that's present. All right. Define cardinality. Um... Yeah. So this is one that, uh, one word that I picked up on a blog. 
I am ready for your users to tell me that I'm using it completely wrong. But the way that I understand it means that my data is so splintered out that it's gone to be so many different lines. And that because I've splintered it out so much, Google Analytics just kind of gives up. Oh, so like overly segmented or hyper segmented, I guess? Yes. Yes. Oh, so like what, yeah. if you were to put in like client ID as a custom dimension, you know, each person that visits your website is a different client ID. So that would be extremely cardinalized data. Oh, okay. So yeah, that wouldn't be. And, and, and part of the principle is that they want to resist us getting into individual users, right? And looking at aggregation. That's possible. You know, I've never thought about that. I just thought that Google was making it harder for us to explore data unless we used a big query. Uh, well, this is this is one of the, so Google. Um, I do know this part. This is not just a Google thing. This is everyone. Every company that is doing any kind of tech needs to worry about privacy. Um, and we're at the point that an individual user, well, like think of a Facebook pixel. And then think of a, a pixel on, let's say, Pinterest, right? The different kinds of data points, uh, search queries. Um, if you were using this kind of uh, data all together, you could kind of start honing in on individual users. Um, and and now with AI, that's that with like how how advanced they're getting, being able to you know manipulate people, not just for consumer behaviors, but um, all kinds of things. This is where it's like, okay, the cookie. That uh, you know that is okay. I'll, I'll stop. But basically, GA4 is is saying the golden era of us getting like hyper data uh, on users has ended. I, we need to give you data that you can use to optimize with. Yeah, um, and they're yeah. doing a really good job of that. So I think that if if you're pretty techy, um, if you want to dance into the world of of super tech. There is so much that can be unleashed when you ever, whenever you implement e-commerce within GA4. So you're talking about AI and machine learning. Google Analytics 4 has a lot of that. So the first thing that they have is they have machine learning to fill in the gaps if people block cookies, like with their ad blockers. But then also they have AI that can predict a purchase. Now, this doesn't apply to any other conversion events, but if you specifically say that this is a purchase event, then Google Analytics can now tell you the probability of purchase in the next seven days. So think about layering that against a campaign. You know, before you had a Facebook campaign and you were just hoping and praying that it would get you lots of conversions, you know, you know your stuff, that everything should be fine. But now you've got kind of uh, the canary in the coal mine. And now Google Analytics can tell you eh, probability of purchase for this particular segment is incredibly low. Uh oh, probably should start trying to optimize my Facebook campaign now rather than waiting whenever it turns out that, yeah, I didn't get a lot of conversions. Wow. Um, oh, okay. So this is why one of the, uh, the default starting that I've seen is purchase as an event. Even if nothing's come across it, all they all seem to start with that. Is this in? Can you use this on lead gen? Um, if you change your lead gen conversions to purchases, then yes. But Google has no intentions of making this predictability 
or this purchase predictability across other other conversion points. So it, okay. it's fun though. They've been pushing in Google ads for us to move even lead gen over to row ads bidding, um, which is not as you can, it's not a simple step, right? You gotta, you gotta set values and estimate and, and stuff, but wow. Um, I wonder how I gotta, like, um, it does have a, a, like a lot of data to get to that point uh, of, the, of predicting a purchase. So it does have certain limitations. I think that you have to have a thousand conversion events and you have to have a consistent number of conversion events over the past 28 days. I think that there are some other stipulations because I have a property that qualifies under this, but Google still won't let me turn it on. So, and they said, oh, you know, you haven't reached your threshold. And I'm looking at the threshold numbers and I'm saying, oh, I don't think that's right. So I think that there are one or two more settings that are kind of underneath the hood. Um, but if you have a significant volume, then I would definitely recommend even creating, you know, you create your main conversion event and then creating a separate e-commerce event. But don't miss out on that e-commerce functionality. Okay. Did you say a thousand? A thousand. Okay. So... And so does, does that like nerf this capability for most small businesses? Yeah. Yeah. It uh, really don't want to sugarcoat that. Yeah, it does. But small businesses can benefit from some of the other features that Google Analytics 4 has. So one of the features that I really like, and I was looking for a test property before this and I couldn't find it, but Google's segmentation uh, with their audiences you know, before you could use segments in Google Analytics and you could make them super complex and then Google would say, yep, this is exactly what you want to see. And with Google Analytics 4, it's nice because it takes it just one step further and it goes, here's what you were looking for, but here's also the people that don't match your segment. So I'll give you an example. So if I want to see mobile users that come from Google business places and that's the segment I want to see. Google says, okay, great. But then we're also going to show you mobile users who don't come from Google business places. And we're going to show you non-mobile users who do come from Google business places. And then we're going to show you people who don't, who aren't on mobile at all and who aren't from Google business places. So all I had to do was build out that, build out that first segment and Google then populated these other three segments that I could look at if I have a gut instinct of, well, you know, I think that mobile has a big impact on it. Well, what kind of impact? And because Google's building out those different segments, it makes it a little bit easier for you to spot um, spikes. And speaking of one more spike, so anomaly detection, that is also an amazing thing with Google Analytics 4. So think about Google Analytics 3. Back in the day, you had to set up custom filters that said, hey, if my conversions increase more than 10%, send me an email. Or if they decrease more than 10%, send me an email. Google Analytics 4 takes this one step further. And it says, hey, show me a specific traffic report or a specific conversion report. Give me anomaly detection. So this is really nice because if your pattern is constantly like this, 
then this anomaly detection can now take that into consideration. Oh, dude. So this is one of the things you were saying, like this takes it to another level. You can do more with this as long as you're not overly drilling down. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Um, because those, like, when you were describing, when we were setting up the advanced segments, those sound like some of the obvious next segments that you'd create. Okay, I've isolated this. Well, let's see what the opposite looks like. But they're just, they're filling out those for you. Yes. Saving you some step. Oh, man. That is, um, that's a productivity boost. Yeah. So small businesses, don't, don't be too sad. Like Google does give you some efficiencies and, you know, like with that anomaly detection, with building out the, the other segments. Um, and you just have to, I mean, lean into it. But I, I, because before this, I really wasn't a convert. Um, and the more I use it, the more I realize that I can become just as good as GA4 as I did, was at GA3. But had to believe in myself because it was not an easy transition. You have to believe right now. <laughs> that is, I, I have no doubt you're, you're going to be the rock star of uh, one of the rock stars of uh, GA4. Um, I'm still working on the belief um, of myself on this. I created a custom dimension and I still have not run a report using that. I'm not sure, like I haven't figured out where, I, where I'm going to see the report, but I created one and then I set it in a, set it in a, uh, an event in uh, tag manager. But um, so tell me, uh, and it was just, I was just a little lead form and I wanted to see, okay, which form was it on the site? You know, cause there's you know, multiple. What, what are some of the ideas that you would put in for custom dimensions? So uh, I personally, I really like client ID as a custom dimension because if I'm ever debugging, um, I need to kind of figure out one specific user and drill down. Now that, that data is still anonymized, but I have to be able to debug. Like for example, if I'm losing track of my source and medium or somehow that gets cleared along the way of my tracking, the only way that I can debug that is if I follow one single user throughout their path. And I can't do that unless I bring in, uh, uh, bring in the custom dimension of client ID. Another one that I'd really, I'd love to see somebody use this. And I don't know if they will um, because it's a little bit more advanced. But if you have anything on your website that shows you your net promoter score, I would send that in as a custom dimension. Because with Google Analytics 4, you can see the funnels of how people are going through your website. And this is really beneficial because before, if you wanted to see the same sort of funnel, you were basically stuck with e-commerce. And if you didn't implement e-commerce, then good luck, Chuck, you couldn't see the drop off. Um, GA4, though, gives you some drop-offs. They also allow you to dig in further into the customer journey. So in GA3, gosh, in GA3, it was the most useless report. And all I can remember, it was a green and red report, and it showed the flows. Um, man, I should have brought this up. But 
that was really useless because you could only drill down into the five most popular user paths that somebody went on. And with GA4, you can drill down into more user paths and more user flows. Maybe it was called the user flow report. But imagine layering on NPS score to your user flow reports. So for example, if you are, let's say you have to have somebody pay a bill or contact you or do something that's more functional rather than like say lead gen on your website. And then what if you said, hmm, I wanna see somebody with a high net promoter score versus what, what path does somebody take on my website if they're, they have a low net promoter score? And so now you can tell essentially customer satisfaction, like what does it look like whenever somebody's happy browsing through my website versus when somebody's really, really frustrated. And if you can hone in on those really, really frustrating segments, then you've just found your opportunity for optimization. All right. I have to say that it's a little above my head because I don't know what a net promoter score is. Okay. So a net promoter score you know, if you've got a company that's really digging into customer journey and customer loyalty and all those all those yeah. feel good metrics of like, is a user going to stay with my brand? They're measuring it oftentimes by this thing called net promoter score, which is what is the chance that somebody is going to recommend your company to a friend? And so if it's low, then that means that they're not very likely to stay with you and they're not very likely to recommend you to a friend. Whereas if it's really high, it means they're incredibly loyal. Um, and I think that we all know it's cheaper to keep loyal customers than create new ones. So it's kind of company's way of, of honing in on, have we got people that like us? Is it, is it a loyal customer? I would, uh, I guess you would have to have a, an ID and then there's like some, uh, basically this group of people based on these metrics um, and behaviors would, would indicate that they're like high net promoters or. Uh, high, the yeah. High so okay. the way that I'm thinking about it, and this is all theoretical. Okay. Um, if somebody out there in the audience has done this before, like, please let me know because I think it's going to be really cool. But like, what if you have a chat bot? And what if the chat bot says, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? Like that's asking you about your net promoter score. Well, what if you could grab that from the chat bot, apply it to the session and then filter it out? So you're right. There, there is some logic flaws. If, if you're not collecting net promoter score, then you can't make net promoter score a custom dimension. But even if you're asking for any other sort of feedback, like I know Hotjar, the heat mapping software, they have a lot of those feedback questions where it's like, how much do you like this, this website right now? Um, and one's a big happy face and one's a big frowny face. So you could also pull that into your report. Okay. So, so like with the chat bot, you could like label people, uh, label a user based on their, their interactions. These are positive uh, and we'll go ahead and label that. Now it's associated with their client ID, right? Yes. Um, okay. Okay. So this is a custom, a, a, a customer specific uh, data point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. This is a, uh, I'm getting my head wrapped around the, uh, those, um, um, man, that sounds like there's just so many, so many things you could just add in. Now you said, uh, is it 
cardinalized if I'm adding in a lot of customer dimensions and then a customer ID? Yeah, so if you, like, th let's think of this in GA3 terms for a minute. If you are just looking at if somebody is mobile, desktop, or tablet, like those are only three lines, right? And then in GA3, if you add in a custom dimension and you're like, well, what is my operating system version? Then that's where all of a sudden you get like the 30 some odd lines. Right. Um, and so it's in the similar way, GA4, you know, you can collect the data and just keep it behind the scenes. But as soon as you start splitting it out and saying, hey, I want to look at somebody's, you know, type of device and then like align it with a client ID. That's whenever your data starts to get cardinalized. Ah, uh, it's just now, okay. I can see that fragmenting and it's it becomes useless or, um, and, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hope I'm not jumping the gun away from this. I saw a custom metrics and I was like, all right, that looks really juicy. I just don't know what a custom metric, which, and I don't know an example one off the top of my mind. I've got one for you. So a little, a little frustrating thing about custom dimensions, you can only add them up. You can only do sums, um, which sometimes isn't very helpful. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example. So in GA4, we're tracking YouTube um, views and how many people are viewing, how long they're viewing. So the total watch time, we're actually porting in as a custom dimension. So if I have two people, like let, let's say that I have a 10 minute long video and I have one person that watches it for five minutes, one person that watches it for eight minutes, and then one person that watches it for 10 minutes, my custom dimension is gonna say watch time 28. Well, but it, it's a 10 minute video. Like, yeah. So you, this is another example where you'd have to take it out via BigQuery and then use average or, you know, you might be able to even do it in Data Studio. So taking a, a metric that you wouldn't otherwise have, like watch time, super helpful, just not in the native GA interface. So I feel like, not that Google spits in our face there, but you know, or if you even wanted to get like percentage watched, like Google's just going to add them up. So, oh, that's uh, it's not going to give. <laughs> it's like, well, I can see how much this uh, this I guess audience collectively did, but it's not. Um, and then I guess, but you'd see the number of users, right? Yeah. So you could manually try and figure it out, and that's where Data Studio may come in handy, but. Um, but for somebody who doesn't have time to make data studio reports or your average everyday Joe, who's just looking in Google analytics, sometimes they may have to ask themselves like, is the juice worth the squeeze here? Yeah. Well, I mean, with you said, this is a, it's a new product. Um, and what, one of the great things about uh, universal analytics and just, and the products before it was that people were building templates. Um, yes. Um, do they have that? They, sh they already have that feature built in to where you people can build out their own and put it in a user section. You know, I have not, uh, I've not looked into this too much. I know that there was 
there have been instructions on how people could like get a landing page um, for a while whenever GA4 was, I won't say in beta, it's technically out of beta, but for a while when it was barely out of beta, like you couldn't get landing page, you couldn't even get conversion right until recently. And so people were making custom instructions on how to figure that out. But as far as the custom data studio reports, I'm, I'm really not sure. I think that a lot of us are just trying to still figure out like what Google is going to continue to add and, uh, and what they're not. So for example, bounce rate, Bounce rate was going to not happen in GA4 for almost two years. And the masses heard about this. They said, what? You're not giving me bounce rate. You're giving me engagement rate instead. And it's a little funny to me because bounce rate is the exact inverse of engagement rate. Like, you know, Google's just forcing you to focus on people who are engaged with you as opposed to people who want to leave you. <laughs> and but but the masses revolted. Okay, having bounce rate go away was the end of the universe, and so Google said, "Fine, fine, we'll add it back. It's just going to be one minus engagement rate, but you've got your bounce rate back." <laughs> so we're waiting for Google to do some of the things like that. Um, unfortunately, like it's really rough because. I don't think that Google's fully developed their solution and they're just forcing everybody over into GA4. Um, so you're just not going to have a year over year comparison for some of those more important metrics that you want to track. I think it's a challenge and, and, and I will give Google a defense of everyone has to go into privacy and, and be very private. And there isn't a, there isn't an option on that. Um, so, Google's got this product and it's the privacy first option versus universal analytics. And that's probably where it's, uh, well, well, we'll build out what we can as fast as possible, but we can't give you, we have to go private. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, we look like, oh, well, Apple's leading the charge, but everyone realizes that that's the sun is setting on, uh, on our golden era of data. Uh, and, uh, and we can, I don't know. When Google started um, giving not provided on organic searches, the outcry at the time, which you know made sense, was but you're giving all of the data to almost all of the data to advertisers. I mean, they scrub out they were scrubbing out search queries that were you know, if you put in credit cards because people do um, you know um, private you know their physical address stuff like that. They would uh, they would clean out those queries, um, and then they started like slowly like decreasing. You know, there's more and more they started taking away. Like oh, this is just one-offs. We wouldn't want to. Uh, we're saving money, but the uh, with the not provided, it was well. If I pay for it, it's um, well okay. So that's the difference is pay, and that that's and that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, so that's where everyone was like, well, oh. Google just bad purely, but you could also look and say, well, okay, but that also isolated down the number of accounts that get, could get access to that search query data. 
because we weren't getting the we weren't getting very many of the zero click data. Now that's the exact opposite. We're getting tons of zero click data. Yeah. Uh, little one-off impressions. So, but I could say that at the time it was just a step towards privacy. Um, in that light, I mean, sure, it was a profit first step. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, but now now it's everyone. Um, I mean, Meta doesn't have a choice now. They now they have to go to. Uh, now they realize their their imperative is they have to become at least partly hardware based. Um, yeah. So I got to ask you, because you're, you dig more into the paid world than I do. And whenever we saw our organic search terms going away, we said, no, no, don't worry. We got paid. And then I think it was, wasn't it last year? Whenever Google started restricting the paid search terms as well, like. They've been doing it over the last few years. I don't remember when that, when that really switched, um, uh, to being quite as big. I think it was 2020. It was already started. It had already been like a bit at a time, but we were always getting conversion data. Like if, it, if you're con that search converted, you got it. Um, so they could scrub out more and more. I was like, okay, I can deal with this. I've got some blind spots of uh, whatever stuff that didn't convert that, you know, that I might want to add negatives for. Um, it was interesting because they copied Microsoft's uh, privacy solution on the search queries. Now, hmm. I'm, now I'm getting most accounts to where I might get a third of my uh, my total search data, search query data. Um, I get so much zero click data. Um, I, I can get thousands and small little accounts, thousands and thousands of pages uh, of queries. Um, that is that is so like, and I'll get a line item of how many conversions happened that I didn't that I can't see the searches for. Um, it's enough to optimize toward because it gives us an idea of the of different ideas of things that could be happening, searches we could you know we could add negatives for, um, but it doesn't give us the, uh, the the same hard data that we used to have. Wow. So um, it has. Uh, yeah, it, it, there's there's ways that it's really positive, and then because um, now we can write queries for all, we can match up ads with responsive search ads to all kinds of queries we had no possibility of writing because we were writing very transactional ads. You know, buy now. Well, a lot of people aren't ready to buy now. Maybe they're just checking out a product. Uh, your lines of copy could. This is not your search query uh, specific, but it's just the the environment. Google is going, hey, we can take this ad, flip it about, okay, here, this fits closer to what they're looking for, then combines it with extensions. And okay, now the person's, huh, interesting. And they've already got the idea of what this person may be interested in anyways, which is data we don't have access to. Hmm. That's really interesting. You have to stay on top of it, but I there's... I don't have to do much on, uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time sitting manually bidding and calculating the conversion rates on this and changing that. Uh, but I can go on Twitter and find um, everyone in the paid world, just every, every, it's a fun, uh, every, at least it's a fun, uh, fun time just going on there and looking at what people are complaining about going, Google, you need to stop doing this and realizing they're not going to, we're yeah. never going back. We are always in this privacy first world. Um, so we have to figure it out. Yeah. 
one of the things that I'm really excited for my paid search friends about for GA4 is the ability to build audiences. So Google had apparently has given y'all a lot more flexibility. So, I mean, you could create custom audiences. Remember that purchase probability event that I was talking about? So you could build that audience and then import that into your Google ads. But it sounded to me like there were also some like dynamic updates, like Google would automatically talk across the two platforms for your audiences. And I didn't know enough about audiences in Google ads to know what the big deal was. But every GA4 article that I read whenever it initially came out was like, OMG, audiences, you have no idea how much this has changed. And my response was, OMG, I keep reading these articles and y'all won't tell me what has changed. Um, and I'm in healthcare, so uh, retargeting oh. and audiences are completely off the table. So admittedly, that is not something that I have have dove into because I respect people's privacy and you know all of that jazz. But if you are a paid search person, I would Google and see how this GA4 audience is going to impact you. Because I imagine that you'll be able to serve a lot more targeted ads for your non-healthcare searches. Um, I can tell you, um, I saved links on this when it, when it came out. Uh, it was 2020, uh, July, I want to say, early. Um, and it was, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and what it was basically is, okay, um, so we're going to take, we're going to take your data and then we're going to fill in the blanks on users. Uh, this was part of the selling point of, of GA4. I was filling some of the blanks on those users of, of people who may not have been able to capture that actually converted, but we'll, we'll do that. And then we're going to take that and basically create a lookalike using our, using GA4 data. So that it's basically a lookalike that you can import back in, uh, which I never actually did. So I can uh, talk like I, I really know. Um, but but this is this is the uh, articles that I poured over um, um, that you haven't talked about. Like yeah, look at you know taking purchasers that you know these look look like them is basically an identical description to it. Um, huh? Because they're okay. similar. There's already similar audiences, which is Google's lookalike. Um, in Google Ads, but you can't create those. You, they are, they, uh, at least it used to be, um, I haven't looked for a year and a half, but it was 5,000 minimum when they, they started creating a threshold to begin with, to where once you hit 5,000, if they found enough commonalities between those people, they would create the similar audience for you. Um, and when they originally rolled out, you, you could create them at will, but that's just when they created the threshold for them. So being able to like go into GA4 and it sounds like, you know, creating like, um, the, well, the purchasers is the one that I saw, but it sounds like you should be able to do it with uh, the custom dimensions and stuff and then create something off of that. I, I can, I don't know. Um, but then import it basically in on as a, uh, essentially as a lookalike. Huh. Um, so, but I know on I know on the purchasers you can do that. I don't know on the custom dimensions, but it sounds like that may be something they're doing. Yeah. So essentially, what you're saying is like if somebody, so you have a lead gen site. If you have multiple types of of lead gen types in your drop down, like you know what size company are you? Are you a 
one to 10, are you a, you know, 500 plus organization? So basically you could take people who look like that 500 plus organization who were in a specific geographic area and then say, okay, Google, I want more of these. Um, the only articles that I had read on was, uh, was about purchases specifically. Okay. Um, I, and so what you're saying about, and I just hypothesize, you know, okay, maybe I could do extra things, you know, in the future, but I didn't actually do any of this, honestly. So when you were talking about that, um, that purchases um, are, are the one that they can make the probability off of, um, that sounds like um, exactly what they were describing at the time. Huh. And maybe, maybe you're not able to do the others. I, I, I can't say. Um, Interesting. This is all like stuff I have to explore. <laughs> no, and I, I was talking with somebody earlier today about, you know, just exploring GA4. The pushing the data into GA4 isn't particularly difficult. Um, you have to think about it a little bit more than Google Analytics. But I mean, if you're in if you're in Google Tag Manager, you're still firing the same sort of triggers. You just have to now manually go in and create event names. So like that portion was about the same. Where I think people are gonna get start to get tripped up is in the analysis portion. Because whenever you have so much more freedom to change these reports and add these filters, you know, with Google Analytics 3, it was very much a plug and play. You couldn't mess up a landing page report. Those were the landing pages. But now you have so much more ability to mess things up. So you really have to know um, what you're looking at. As a matter of fact, what I would do is in six months from now, look for an article along the lines of 10 ways you're interpreting your GA4 data wrong. Because those little tips and tricks are going to be super helpful. Um, I imagine they'll mention case sensitivity um, as one of the things. But then another thing that I'm seeing is, so I talked about the funnel process. Let's say that you have a multi-step um, form to, let's use e-commerce again, to purchase shoes. Um, step one, you add to checkout. Step two, you enter your payment information, step three, shipping information, and step four, purchase. So if you want to tell the drop-off between each step, um, you've got to make sure that you're filtering it right from the get-go. Because Google Analytics is going to, Google Analytics 4 is going to tell you how much time was spent on each step. And if you don't filter it out to that one specific session, Google Analytics is going to go, oh, well, you want to understand the whole customer journey. And it may sound good, but then it also, whenever you look at your time from each step, it may say something like, it took four hours from somebody to look at the shoe page to then add to cart. So let me, let me phrase this in a different way. So we're still using our shoe process, okay? You're adding the shoe process to cart. But take into the fact that somebody actually had to look at that shoe page before they added to cart. So you decide, being a smart marketer, that you want to track that funnel. And your step number one is viewed the shoe page, 
Step number two is add to cart. But you don't filter out only people who have ever added to cart. Um, and see, as I explain it more, my explanation's not getting better. Trust me, people, you need to wash your filters, okay? Because otherwise it's going to say that somebody spent four hours on your checkout step and you're going to say this is totally wrong and I don't know why, but my session timeout is an hour, so something's got to be wrong. And I guess the high-level takeaway is be careful with your filters whenever you're analyzing the data because otherwise Google's going to take into consideration the whole customer journey, which may have taken one full week rather than just one session. Because remember, Google Analytics 4, it's a completely new data model. It's event-based. It's not session-based. So Google doesn't care about that one session and the drop-off with that one session. They're going to be looking at every session that somebody has ever visited before they talk about drop-off. Um, so I'm a little concerned because the custom dimension that I was, I was so happy. I was like, yes, I did this um, in Tag Manager. The value I added was the page path. Does that work okay in Geo, GA4? Is there something I need to watch out for in, uh, in filters? So with page path, you know, this is a little disclaimer. My number two is way more technical than me. And this girl knows Google Analytics back and forth, side to side. So what I learned, I learned from her. She actually said that there's something different between page path and page location in Google Analytics 4. So I'm going to have to look it up. But I would just say the main filter issue is whenever you're doing custom reports and custom explorations. Okay. To your point earlier about, hey, are there people who have already built out reports? Yes. Leverage those people because they're going to help you make sure that you don't add the wrong filters whenever you're analyzing data. Okay, Casey always asks, uh, you know, if, uh, if you've got people to uh, throw out links for, if there's uh, sites or sources, if you want to, um, for people who are like, um, I know when we had Jen on, she was like giving like a few different channels, for example, uh, but uh, we can definitely post up uh, links in descriptions later. Yeah. Uh, so Charles Farina is the best GA4 expert to follow. This guy knew about bounce rate before bounce rate, like before any of us knew that bounce rate was coming back to Google Analytics. And then somebody, I don't know if it's just based on pettiness or wanting to serve the analytics community, somebody created a bug list about GA4. Um, what the, how do you spell Farina? F-A-R-I-N-A. -A. Okay. Okay, yes. And I found the link for the GA4 bug list. It's from Tag Manager Italia. GA4 bug list. Yeah, so this is, this is one of our groups that... Um, if you spot something funny, you can report it and then they let you know if this is expected functionality or if this is something that that uh, Google needs to fix. Tag manager Italia.it? Yes. Got it. So, and he actually has a Twitter link, so I put that 
sent that over to you, Kevin. Oh, awesome. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then another guy that I think he's been really great about following up with all the changes that have happened in GA4 is, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Julius Fedorovicius. I'm going to have to, to copy and paste this one in the chat. I've got the GA4. The, who's the Twitter? Um, yeah, so the Twitter is for the GA4 bug list. Ah, okay, perfect. And then Julius runs analyticsmania.com. And I just, I really enjoy his, his chats. And he's constantly posting new articles about what has changed. Um, even as much on his Twitter as like 14 hours ago and he's halfway across the world. So this was not too long ago for him. Uh, oh yeah. I've seen, uh, I've seen his uh, YouTube channel analytics mania and I've read enough of his articles. Yeah. So I think he, he's really been up to date. I love Simo Ahava, but I haven't seen Simo Ahava doing as much on GA4. I think he's mainly, involved with server-side tagging, Google Tag Manager at this point. But if you follow Julius and uh, and Charles Farina, those are going to be two just excellent resources, most up-to-date. I'm a, I'm a tourist at analytics compared, <laughs> compared to you. I, when, I, when I read these things, I'm usually like, trying to get something done and try and like especially with the new tools because i've been like watching like cookies uh getting nicks for a long long time and going how am i going to get solve this i'm going through articles that these and videos and going what what did they just say and go back through and like um and i really you know so this is uh having you come on here is uh is fantastic because you know being able to ask some of these questions like directly um, it's hurt my head so many nights, just like going to bed defeated. Yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not used to that. I'm like used to like, yeah, I've done this. I mean, I have my losses, but this stuff has just killed me. Um, yeah. I think the main thing to focus on is that we're all in this together. I mean, I've been knee deep in GA4 for I think two years now and learning new things every single day. And so that's why it's really important, you know, as you are going through Google Analytics and showing these reports, like this is the time to really listen to your clients. If you tell somebody, yes, somebody spent four hours on this page or I'm noticing this amount of drop off and they say, hmm, that doesn't seem right. This is not the time to have a big ego and say, well, I know Google Analytics and this data is right. Listen to your clients, listen to your customers because they may actually be able to help you debug some of the reports that you don't know how to debug because you're so new. And I use you in the, the collective sense, myself included in that. Yeah. That's, yeah. So listening to the events, this actually occurred um, and then going and matching that up with data. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that one's is a, is a practice I learned in, uh, in managing ad accounts that, I, I got numbers on the screen 
you know, that's great. But what what happened in the real world? And and the uh, you've seen this where sometimes our numbers are are deceptive. <laughs> like, haha, this is what happened. And then the real story is is a lot more nuanced. Um, or or the exact opposite where we've already got, you know, there's already a oh, we know we know how this happened and then the data is like, wait. <laughs> hold on a second. Um let's see uh what was another one on uh, the uh analytics dot I clicked the back button on the analytics the tag manager analytica analia um, No, these are these are the main three people that I would focus on. Um GA4 bug list, Julius and then Charles Farina. There are some other great people in the space, but I've seen the most published from Julius and Charles Farina. So cool. No, I'm not slighting other people out there who are doing their GA4 investigations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, I've determined that I'm like, this is my time. I've got to learn it. I have no choice. I'm convinced with iOS 16. I mean, I got it. And I'm like, this is really cool. Oh wait, there's a lot of tracking disabling feature um and i'm looking at my ads and going um um <laughs> i yep. don't have a choice i've got to get it together um nope that's exactly why i switched i actually got an iphone about a month ago um and that's exactly why i got an iphone is because it was it was so hard for me to track on iphone and i figured like i know apple's using my data but like at least now we've got a competitor to Google here. Like, at least my data is in two different sources now. Yeah, right. Um, I I don't know about you, but I've everyone I've talked to who works with Google regularly is is uh, is um, they're like eating up our time a lot and just completely bombarding us with different kinds of notifications and alerts. Like, and, and it seems that Apple is. Okay, yes, I'm spending time in their interface to do so, but they're doing things to help me stop that. Um, yeah. I mean, so they're eating up my time, but I find that more like rewarding because I'm not being bombarded by other parties. Like with Google, I'm looking through a countless email addresses that they use from different sources, and there's different ways of contact. Of course, they're not the only one. Uh, Meta's got their finger, like different places. I can't find any, I don't think there's a tech company that I don't have at least some of their hardware or software <laughs> sitting on my, in my, uh, my house. Um, and so I, I'm constantly in this tug of war, like some of them are like, uh, but, um, I'm going to be spending my time on them anyways. <laughs> have you tried tracking yourself and then splitting out those sessions? So even better, I've tried tracking my husband. Um, so my <laughs> husband, but but this was this was one of those like I wanted to show him what I did for a living, and it was pretty cool. And the what I found out, I already knew this, but like my husband is a great listener. Um, so whenever I teach him about tracking stuff, he listens to me. And so I tried to show him once what I did. But he had listened to me so well and put so many tracking preventions in place that I had to undo four tracking blockers before I could show him like, oh, yeah, that's you on Google Analytics. 
Not one, not two, not three, but four. Wow. So, so yeah, once he, uh, that after that, I was like, yeah, I'm not worried. Or I'm not interested in tracking myself. That is an awesome partner, by the way. Yes. Um, that is amazing um, that you've gotten the tracking prevention down like that. Have you looked at, uh, have you, you've updated to iOS 16, right? Uh, not yet. Oh. But <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of stubborn. I don't like being told when I should do something. So every time Apple suggests that I should update to iOS 16, I say, mm, I'll, I'll do it later. I'm so, not going to say you should do something. Okay. But I will say, you know what you may be missing? It's you marketing. Tell. Okay. Uh, if you've seen the maps and you've got like, so my wife and I, like we, we share like our locations, right? Uh, and it's always been like waiting a minute before I can even tap. Cause like, is she driving home? Like, okay. <laughs> or, or whatever. Right. Cause uh, um, at, at different moments that, that curiosity and, and uh, now it actually shows her in real time. I can see if she's in traffic stops, like bumping stuff and go, I'm like, wow, send her a screenshot of the recording. Huh. Um, yeah. So uh, there's a whole lot. I can, any of that can be easily stopped at will. There's even more measures in place. But um, if you want to allow the tracking, um, it's better. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if Apple will use this to, Kind of bump up their maps game. I'm I'm still a Google Maps holdover, so I have both the Apple Maps and the Google Maps on my phone. Got them both, but I use Apple Maps primarily. I used to get like people joke with me, but I, I do fine now. I go with my phone tells me or my wife. She's my GPS. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know directions well. I'll get lost. So um, <laughs> I hope that Apple Maps is right if she's not there with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, uh, the iOS 16, um, not to sing its praises, but I notice when I'm, um, so if you, I don't know, I've, I just sync all my, uh, my, uh, profiles mm -hmm. on, on different browsers with my, uh, with my phone. And so I've got all these contacts that frequently come in as duplicates because some will have the same first name, but they'll be the first and last name together in some cases, depending on the source. Um, so the, the first name is the first and last, and some will be a different person because of the first name. And then in the last name, the last name field. Huh. So going through and I was deleting the last name in the first name field so I can put it in the last name field. Sorry, it's an overly detailed explanation. And it, uh, it was like, how am I going to spell that, like type that one out? Or I could copy and paste, but it's with my thumb. And then I'm halfway through the name and it gives it a name as a suggestion it recognized. Huh. Like, and even app, even Siri has gotten to where it's good. Siri actually works. I've resisted because we've got like Apple TVs, uh, with Sam all Samsung TVs, but Apple TVs as <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Um, the uh, so I've resisted. They, you know, I can do the voice dictation for a search. And I don't, I haven't found historically that it's actually saved me any more time. It's actually kind of probably about neutral. Um, sometimes I'm saving time. Sometimes like it's just a hassle. Um, since I updated, um, I, I don't know that that's iOS 16 on the Apple TV or, but it works. 
it figures it out. And like it even corrects. I'll even see it put out a search that it's and then it like wipes it out, like changes. Oh, it recognizes. I'm like, oh my God. Siri's been the 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 butt of many jokes for so long. Right. Sorry, I went I went way too long on that. No, no, no. I'm I'm very interested. I have not done any digging into Iowa 16. So it's good to know. I guarantee the tracking prevention is uh, as more people are getting it, it it's hammering things. Um, I know that Firefox had theirs. Mozilla rolled out, it was going to say in May, to where it was basically if you were different sites, you couldn't track together. They, yeah. they'd, they'd nix the pixel. Um, so I, I don't know all the stuff that's in iOS 16, but it's there. It's everyone has everyone's going private and Apple's leading the charge. Yeah, I think what's even scarier to me is, well, not for my Google ads friends, because Google will always figure out a way how to outsmart it for their specific platform. But like, I imagine the next couple of years, we'll see browsers start stripping off URLs or URL parameters. Firefox already has the option, but it's not by default. And I think that everybody who relied on UTM coding in, I, I would say probably about two years, they're going to have an oh no moment where the, oh. the query parameter just drops off. Oh, uh, wow. Um, you know what? I think the same thing is going to happen about phone numbers. I'm sorry. This is... Hmm. Well, because if you're looking at our, our data is in warehouses, data warehouses all over the world, right? Um, think of who all has access to our data, like how many credit agency leaks, uh, bank leaks. Uh, it's, it's leaked, right? This is being ca- and like it's not just going out there. It's people are downloading this and they're putting it places. They're grabbing data all over. And no matter how much privacy we've tried to put up for ourselves, we can do some, but it's. I mean, homeowners association has our data, uh, you know, it has certain, certain good amounts of data, right? Um, it, it's all over the place, right? A phone number is, I mean, social security numbers compared to a, to a, uh, you know, any, like a, a Google meet, uh, URL, uh, which even though the URL may be, I mean, that's all encrypted, right? Social security numbers look quaint, right? <laughs> yeah. Phone numbers are even simpler. Being able to connect that with a person, um, if I can, and and I don't need to have a, um, I'll take this a step further. I'm sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole. If I have, why do I need to have a phone to make a phone call? Uh, if I have a, if I have a, uh, if yeah. I can talk on my headset, right? Um, I just need to be able to anonymize the data somehow because I need protection from being able to be spammed at will from everybody who can get hold of my phone number, which auto dialers were easy enough to do. Now, now, like where you can just run through the numbers. Now there's tons of databases that all have my phone number. Hmm. So Google, Apple already has the features uh, and, and they've been doing this for a while uh, where they've, uh, for the last couple of years, where they, they offer you to give a, um, a temporary email address when you're signing up for a service. Right. So okay. I ran into this like a year, year and a half ago. I wanted to get my HBO Max because my oldest wanted to look at HBO Max on her uh, on her desktop on Chrome um, on PC. And 
I'm like, well, it should be this email address because I've, well, okay, I will try my try my wife's email address. Okay, those didn't work. I don't get it. So I'm looking through. I'm looking through my emails. Oh, okay, so we have more than one HBO Max account, both signed up through iTunes. Okay, well, those were our iTunes emails. That should work. And they're the right passwords. I don't get why that go into the HBO Max in there. This is not, uh, this is like, it's clearly a junk email. What is this? So we look into it. At HBO hadn't signed up with Apple. If Apple didn't let you, uh, if they weren't signed up to be part of their service um, to where it was private, um, then you couldn't watch that. And HBO wasn't at the time. Um, so like, imagine I give out my email address and it's temporary to where we can contact, but if I don't talk to you for a while, you're not spamming me you know, in six months. Yeah. Huh. So it's phone really numbers, the, the logic seems natural to, to go to phone numbers too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's uh, that's my, my thoughts on the matter, but uh, sorry, I'm all over the place. That's the kind of like privacy data that we're, that we're, we're being blocked from getting, but knowing that I'm taking a bunch of ad, that users are taking actions on your website, sounds like everything that Google's giving. And I am way, way just, um, I'm. A, I really did want to. I do want to hear more from you if uh, if you if you're okay with a little bit more time. Yeah. Sorry, right. I just I got going on tangents on. Um, so what kind of if you were gonna what kind of tracking prevention do you suggest or like what layers are you talking about if I wanted to be really private? Yeah. So I'd only use Firefox and then I'd enable their default settings. Um, and then I'd add in one simple plugin like Ghostery. And the what reason why, what? What was the, what was the plugin? Ghostery. Ghostery. Oh, I've heard of this. I don't know. Yeah. About. Let me tell you, if you forget that it's on, um, it will trip you up if you're trying to debug things. Put a post-it note on your computer that just says, reminder, you need to turn off Ghostery. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I would use Firefox is because it's the only end-to-end -end encrypted uh, browser and but you do have to configure it so it's not as it's not as plug and play as Apple um, but I would do that and then once you do that then that should handle you from a browser perspective email will never be encrypted end to end but it's all about from this point on making disparate data sources. So you've got Google, Apple, and Microsoft. Just try and split up your data between those three. So for example, if you use DuckDuckGo as a search engine, so DuckDuckGo actually allows Microsoft trackers. So just consider that Microsoft, whether you use DuckDuckGo or Bing, you're still giving your data to Microsoft. And by the way, Yahoo's in bed with Microsoft too. So if you're going to use a Yahoo email address and a DuckDuckGo browser, I mean, maybe you're a little safer, but it's still part of the Microsoft ecosystem. So okay. I would, I would split it up and, you know, maybe use Google for something. Um, but let's split that up and add Apple in the mix there somewhere, but I wouldn't use it for your browser. Definitely Firefox for your browser. And then um, Apple for other things. 
And then I think that the next step that I would remind people is don't you sign up with Google. Um, if they're like, sign up with Google, sign up with Facebook, don't do it. Uh, and this is if you want to go off the record. And, and then I think the last thing that I would do, it's, it's pretty much a mantra in our house, is the only thing worse than no data is bad data. So, for example, I just signed up for Strava, which is a, a running platform where you can share your runs or participate in a group challenge. And my name on that is Marty Mag Magliotti. Um, and my birthday is, you know, not the right month, not the right day, and 10 years older than I actually am. So... That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Or like if I use my Gmail, my Gmail is Cynthia Cavatappi, which is, you know, Cavatappi is a type of pasta. So, but once again, it, it is making it so that it's hard to stitch together your data. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I have a tinfoil hat, okay? But if you track people for a living, you realize like what data is out there and how it can be used. And you realize like how much bad data can mess people up. So in order to protect my privacy, I just put as much bad data out there as I can. I've, uh, I've just recognized that I'm gonna, that the, the surveillance is just part of the ecosystem. Um, and I've, I've worried less about it. I worry about it for security purposes, you know, for clients and, and, you know, finances, but, um, but I, I never put too much time and, and thought into, uh, how I could throw off trackers, just how I was going to deal with like recapturing the data. And, you know, um, I mean, you know, we got our, we are, we're, we're individuals and we can go, Oh, and we're marketers and go, Ooh, give me that data. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but I, that's, wow. Okay, so even using Firefox on iPhone or Safari on iPhone and then Firefox on desktop or I don't know. No, I, I would use Firefox pretty much everywhere. Um, now you're gonna run into some compatibility issues. So for example, um, Google Hangouts and like StreamYard they love Chrome. So you always have to have a backup browser. Um, but because I'm using an iPhone, I want to try and avoid using Safari. Now it's hard because Safari is a great browser and it's easy to use. But if I always use Firefox on my iPhone or on my Mac, that's where I would go. And then I switch back and forth between DuckDuckGo and Google as a search engine because really, I mean, Google's, if I'm trying to do an image search or shopping, like Google's a better search engine for that. And then for email, I switch between Yahoo and Gmail. So again, just splitting out my data sources. Man, um, I might need to, re wait, do you sync your, uh, your profiles? Uh, I try not to. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's all synced because I wanted my bookmarks everywhere. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's how they get you. They get you with efficiency. And let me tell you, my life is so much less efficient now that I'm trying to be privacy conscious. So for example, 
Um, this is actually something that I learned at a DFW SEM meeting. Certain apps can tell what apps you have downloaded on your phone. So for example, Twitter can access the apps you have downloaded on your phone and can determine from that like religion, sexual orientation, all of that jazz. So on my new iPhone, I have downloaded the least number of apps as possible. And I may download some, not some fake apps, but some apps that are not, um, you know, I'm, um, I'm a Christian, so I may download some Jewish apps, you know, and, and something similar to like that. Um, if I'm a Texan, maybe I'll download a Maryland app. So just further skewing the data. So like stuff that is non a like uh, um, different age group, uh, stuff yes. that you know uh, multi gender um, stuff, right? Yeah, each one of these data points, multi like location, as you said it, uh, different interests that you might already have. Yes. Uh, as well. Okay. And and just stick them in a few different folders, like you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. And then Twitter, the app can also tell like how often you access it. Um, and this is, I'd have to go back and shameless plug. I'd have to go back and rewatch the DFW SEM event um, with Chris Silversmith to remember the exact specifics. But because Twitter can tell how often you access these apps, occasionally I open up, um, I've got a Yiddish news app and I open it up and turn it on and listen to it. and you know, let all the other apps understand or interpret the data. I sound like a crazy person, y'all, but I'm just really good at tracking and I know what's out there. So um, I've had enough people come up to me and go, do you know what they can tell you about you know, the, the information? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I live in this world. Um, it's uh, you would be very paranoid if I told you what, you know, the stuff that we can see, right? Not that I'm not not working yeah. with Google or anything, but I mean, and you're, you're a tr tracking specialist. I think it's, I think the paranoia is absolutely warranted. Um, I don't think even when you say you think you're less efficient because you avoid, um, avoid tracking, but I think because they know everything about me and I'm not hiding it so much. Um, I'm putting my, my name in things. I'm putting my, all my, you know, most of it's the same email address um, that um, they, they can alert me constantly. So I don't know that the efficiency is really uh, any different. Um, I don't I don't know that you're losing anything. Um, the uh, the selling point was always that, hey, you're going to see better ads. Your your ad experience is going to be better. But we work in marketing with tons of other businesses we have to look at and and um, and now I'm like listed on all kinds of interests. Yes. Yeah. No, I actually had one, uh, one former developer I, I worked with, I believe it's called the host file. Um, he modified his host file and that way the IP address for any ads that showed up, uh, actually got rerouted, um, on his computer. So they always showed up blank. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, he's way more technical than me, but. I got so tired. This is like doing ads. 
I used to be, I can't block ads. Mm -hmm. I got so sick of YouTube blasting me with ads, but I wanted to use their product. <laughs> I signed up for their YouTube premium so I wouldn't see ads on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I started doing that in other places like Reddit premium, just so I'm not seeing an ad. That's, I did Twitter blue, but I still see ads. Um, hmm. um, like if you, whatever. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, that tracking, anyways, I'm sorry like, to, to detour, but man, no, I, I think it's all justified. The, the, the consumer behavior that it was always intended to, to change, um, going back to this is that it, it's shown that it can change, uh, it can change our, our lives and our, you know, people can be, you know, convinced of things. We're leaning into our biases. You know, uh, it was easier to get me to buy something that I was already, oh, okay. You know, I've got an association like mental, oh, okay. I'm already interested in this and you're connecting that. Cool. Now we can see this can change, can change nations um, using that data. I think, I think we have to like protect, you know, this is an imperative over time. So lead the forefront. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, that's part of the reason why I created my, I have a website, Learn Web Analytics, and I haven't updated it in a couple of years, but uh, data on there is still accurate. And part of it was I wanted people to understand kind of what tracking was going on because I feel like you, people just need to be educated to a certain degree. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much, uh, and, but when they do, <laughs> when they start finding out that like, oh my God, you've had these conversations, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you freak your husband out when you're talking about it? I don't think so. I mean, I think he understands that these companies are out here to make money and the, the easiest way to make money is to track. So, um, He's just a, he's great at learning the technology and um, every time, actually, every time I hear about a new update in the tracking world, I actually send it to him first because I know he can appreciate it. Oh, are there, are there places where we can look at like clearly that are voice searches uh, aside from like ours and a, and a smart speaker or something? Um, I don't know, um, because I think that there, I mean, there are so many different voice platforms and I haven't, I really haven't looked into that because I don't have any voice devices in my house. Oh, I've got them. <laughs> They're all around me. <laughs> I have to watch when I say the word Google that I don't say the word, Hey, before <laughs> it, because suddenly, um, yeah, they're, they're all around me. Um, I'm not doing a great job of hiding myself from the surveillance, that's for sure. Um, yeah, that one, that one, uh, it used to be that you couldn't, uh, a negative keyword, um, uh, sorry, you couldn't block, what was it, eight words. If it was uh, beyond eight, uh, that was the limit. Um, and now it's, I believe it was eight, uh, if I remember correctly, and now it's 16. Um, which 
I mean, sometimes, you know, you're, you're typing out something that's really long. Most of the time it's something, something, something on the corner of something, something, something. That's not something people are oftentimes typing out. We're giving more description, which is where chatbots get really, really cool. Yeah. If you're thinking of that in, uh, in, uh, as a uh, search, like site search data, people are going to say more in a chatbot than they're going to say on like just your search panel on your website. That's a good point. Yeah, that one, um, that one's, whoa, <laughs> how much are people going to unload? Like half a paragraph? <laughs> oh. Possibly. I'll have to start, I'll have to start tracking that data. Wait, do you have a chatbot on, 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 uh, on the website of work? No, no, not yet. But I know that it is, it is in the works. Oh, that'd be juicy. Yeah. Although we'll have to work on, you know, it's, how do you make sure to filter out PII and in my case, PHI as well? Oh so. yeah. That's, that'll have to be so locked down. Oh man. Yeah. It, it's, it's an, it's interesting and it's a good challenge to have. And I'm good. I'm glad that I'm fighting on the side of the good guys where yes, I want to track you, but I also have a vested interest in protecting people. Um, so. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. I, yeah, I get my brain going like, oh my God, that's great. I'm like, wait a minute. That's really, really creepy. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> oh my God. Like someone monitoring a chat on a health, you know, anything health related. Good. Lee. Yeah. just, oh, um, that's uncomfortable to think about. Yeah. Uh, but it's important to know that like, and this is part of the reason why I like to educate people um, is that I want you to know what's out there. And that way you can help spot the people that aren't like me that are using it for more nefarious purposes. Um, so I want to go fully on the record saying I do not record or track anything that is personally identifiable PHI, any, any sort of things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Protect your, protect your data, protect your privacy. It can and will be used to, to sell you things or, or possibly, uh, possibly steal your identity, whatever. Um, I've seen a lot of, anyways, um, a lot of, a uh, lot of different examples of like, of, uh, what's called social engineering. Um, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but, um, talking to uh, tech security work, like IT security, uh, experts. Um, and they said social engineering, which is just getting the user to take an action, like clicking on spam uh, or whatever is, is their primary way that hackers get in. It's users that are, that are at the, uh, insecurity, um, and it's leaning into either our biases or our uncertainties, you know, scare tactics, urgency. You're going to be locked out of your account if you don't respond within 48 hours and there'll be no recourse. Of course, if you can't get hold of an expert and you've already bought into the uncertain, like the fear, you're going to have to take action because you, you've got this window, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, I'm not... A good, uh, good Casey Watkins, um, but he he has some uh, some wrap up questions. I'll try to try to go through if uh, the um, 
what are uh, what are your favorite uh, favorite blogs? Um, you know, I still love Simo Ahava. I know that he's not as much into GA four, but I think at least once a month I find an article. This morning, actually, I sent an article where somebody was asking, "Well, when does Google store the the location or like the source and the medium of your traffic?" and Sure enough, Simo had an answer. It's in the document refer. Um, so Simo Ahava, and then I think the ones that I've mentioned, um, Julius. Julius is a good one, and then occasionally Optimize Smart. But Simo Ahava and um, and Optimize Smart is a okay. Yeah. Um, that's a YouTube channel, right? Ah, okay. uh, that is a website here. Oh, okay. And it's there just optimizedsmart.com. Optimizedsmart.com. Cool. Um, I'm posting these in the chat, and then I can put them in the description later. Um, uh, do you have a favorite... Um, was that uh, your favorite uh, podcast? I actually don't listen to podcasts. Ah, all right. Um, so how do you, if you're like absorbing content, is it all either reading or, or video? Yeah, it's mostly reading. Uh, I like reading because I can skim it. Yeah. But, yeah. I get all my news from headlines. I mean, it tells me what I need to know, right? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> um but yeah, like I, I pour through content myself, like just reading stuff and um, uh, the uh, favorite books. Favorite books. Um, there are none that are work related. Um, oh, this is just whatever. From a personal perspective, I really like Seven Principles to Making Your Marriage Work. Um, it's a book that I started reading whenever my husband and I were thinking about getting engaged. Um, and I read it once every two years. It's kind of a kind of CPE. I figure I do continuing education for my job. Why not do continuing education for my marriage? So, oh, um, God. you should be a marketer. You know that, right? I mean, <laughs> I um, love that line. Um, yeah. So this is, it, it's a, it's a really good book and. You know, not that anybody needs marriage advice, but it's a great grounder. Um, and then some just fun books for me to read. Um, Seven Principles for Making making Marriage Work? Yes, by John Gottman. Okay, just making sure. I didn't want to cut you off there. Um, no affiliation, just an Amazon link there. Uh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. So, um, so that's one. And then... I think the the best Christmas pageant ever by Barbara Robinson. It is a a book that I first read when I was in third grade. And um, sorry, I thought I knew how to. I apologize. I thought I knew how to get the uh, all these descriptions. I don't know if they're appearing on the chat overlay. Casey knows all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me that one more time. I'm being terrible. I'm trying to list this stuff. Um, it is. Um, best Christmas pageant ever. 
Best Christmas. By Barbara Robinson. It's a short hundred page read. It is on the third grade level and it is so well written. And it's just one of those books that just sparks joy for me, especially around Christmas time. Uh, <laughs> the magic of Christmas. Um, we were talking, um, talking to my wife, like, are we going to continue? Because we've got our now two-year-old. Um, are we going to continue the, the, the little lie? She's like, of course we are. <laughs> else you you got to believe in the magic of Christmas at Christmas time. It's just part yeah. of like the growing up experience. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I see your point. So, um, the 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 best Christmas pageant ever. I'm gonna check that one out. Yeah, yeah. We're um, little one absolutely loves to read books, and I'm so glad she she does. What gonna you know, watch car some cartoons? Oh, God. Coco Melon. I don't know when we started, but, uh, but she, uh, she just loves to just sit there and just listen to us read. Um, um, happy about that. Um, so, so we got those two books. Um, um, favorite hobbies? Uh, I'd say I'm a big runner. runner. Uh, I think running is probably my biggest hobby. And then you know, everybody says traveling, game nights, you know, those sort of things. But uh, I like to spend, you know, go running every couple of days to just clear my head and enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, you mentioned running earlier. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, we sit at computers, right? <laughs> this yes. isn't great for our health, right? We got to get our blood pumping for like, get the oxygen to our brain, get the ideas like coughing. You know, so running is a I need to do more of that. <laughs> um, that was a fantastic hobby. Um, yeah. And you, you said traveling though, right? Yeah, yeah. So whenever whenever we can, um, we went to New Zealand, my husband and I, a couple of years ago for our honeymoon. Year before that, we went to Germany for Oktoberfest. So, oh. yeah. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, definitely. We're we're looking forward to next year's vacation. We're thinking about doing Iceland, Australia, or Hawaii. We haven't decided yet. I can't say the others, but I've been to Hawaii once. That was fantastic. It was uh, PubCon paradise. The only time uh, they had uh, PubCon out there. Um, I, man, we, we've talked about having a 10-year reunion. Was it almost <laughs> here? Might have to be an eleven year, uh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was it was amazing. It's um, all I can say about it. But, um, the others sound great too. Um, and um, uh, game night. Yeah. So um, my favorite game at the moment is this game called Monikers, which it's like combining catchphrase and charades. So you have a deck of cards, you get to choose seven of your favorite and everybody else chooses seven of their favorite, shuffle them up and put them into a new deck. And then from that new deck, you, you try and get somebody to guess the word on the card or guess the phrase on the card without saying any of the words or the, the phrase that is on the card. So once you get done with that first round, then you put all the cards back in the same deck. But the second round, you can only use one word to describe the card. 
And then once you get done with that round, then you put all the cards back in the same deck. So you're reusing the cards. Um, and the third round is you have to act out the card. You can't use any words at all. So three rounds, same cards, and just trying to get people to guess what's on the card. <laughs> Data points, but more and more hidden. Right? Yes. <laughs> I love that. That sounds awesome. What was that game called again? Called oh. Monikers. M-O-N-I-K-E-R-S. Yeah, that sounds fun. We've tried to get games to get you know going. It's uh, video games wind up taking over, and then it's like, Dad, no, I'm, I've got a game. I'm gonna go play with friends. Yeah. Sorry, busy. Uh, um, I played so many board games growing up. So many. Um, I pester the heck out of my, my, my mom about uh, chess, Monopoly, life, uh, checkers. Uh, wasn't that, any game I could get my hand on. We played backgammon and, and um, so posted up the monikers and uh, and I'll uh, put that in the description later. Um, if uh, and last uh, last question. Um, um, if you were if you were to uh, something happened to you today. You're gone. What what would you hope people remembered about you? Um, just that I was kind to him. That's great. Good answer. I like that. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Um, appreciate you coming on and uh, and uh, thank you everyone for uh, for joining us. Been another uh, marketing chat with Casey and Kevin. And uh, see you guys next week. Thanks, y'all.